So, I hear you were terrorizing Mr. Morgan's class again. Expressing my opinion is not a terrorist action. The way you expressed your opinion to Bobby Ridgway? By the way, his testicle retrieval operation went quite well, in case you're interested. I still maintain that he kicked himself in the balls. The point is, Cat. Cat! <laughs> People perceive you as somewhat... Tempestuous? Heinous bitch is the term used most often. You might want to work on that. Thank you. As always, thank you for your excellent guidance. the weekly semi-academic pop culture analysis roundtable with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Wayne Wise and Palindrome Hannah Rogers. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good. What's I up, am in mourning. I'm yeah. so sad. <laughs> oh, something horrible happened to you, will be happening to you in, in a year, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Let it rain up. Uh, I found out this weekend The Good Place will end at season four. Oh, yes, I read that. I saw that too. <laughs> I mean, the good news is, is that it's a creative decision and it's yes. going to be, of course, an amazing conclusion to the best show on television. But uh-huh, sure. It's because you're basic. Doesn't mean that. It's no Riverdale. It's no Riverdale. <laughs> thank God. No, you have to think of it in a good way. You you know, you've got the good place for one more year. You go out on a good note. You yeah. enjoy yourself. And then after that, you'll have time opening up so that you can watch Riverdale twice every week. Yeah. Like you can really deep dive in and, and into the nuance and understand. Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> like, Maybe instead I can watch The Swamp Thing, the best show on television that got canceled after one episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, if you, yeah. If you're planning on watching Swamp Thing, Swamp Thing, which is kind of on television, I guess. Yeah, I, More, I, I mean, I, I, heard. I yeah, <laughs> I actually have the DC Universe app. I can watch it. I have not yet, but you know, it literally dropped in the morning, and then I got word that it had been canceled. Like between the time that it dropped and I woke up, <laughs> so. <laughs> it was, so uh. So there's too much TV now. Yes. <laughs> that, that is um, that is our that is our lesson. And with too much TV, too much entertainment, and therefore not enough time, room for everything to exist. And the casualty is the Good Place, the second best t- show on television. Uh, so. Well, no, no, uh, no. After Riverdale. No. <laughs> no, The Good Place is the best show on television, and the second best show on television is Good Omens. They're just good shows. Yes. I've, I've not watched Good Omens yet, I will admit that. Just because as the word good in the title does not necessarily imply. No, but it, it does actually work. Like Superstore, it's a super show. No, no I, I do really want to watch that. I haven't had the opportunity yet, but I want to. Yeah. Well, that will be coming. I'm sure we'll talk about that soon because yeah. I, I've, I'm the person who's never read the book and mm-hmm. I've not yet watched the show. So I read the um, book a long time ago when Hannah was with a wee baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the book 
is one year older than I am, but it yes, was my favorite yes. book in high school. Yes, I read that when you were a wee baby. Uh, that, that, is, that is not a metaphor. <laughs> Everyone who's ever mentioned either the show or the book to me has told me that I will really love it. And I will surely watch or read it one day when I run out of yeah. other media. To watch. Well, honestly, I would say that Good Omens could be considered a remix of Paradise Lost. Which Ooh. I have seamlessly transitioned us. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, with that amazing segue, <laughs> today's show is about, and I don't have a great title for it. I've been calling it Narrative Remixes. And the reason I called it that was about a week ago, as we record this with my wife, I went to the movies to see a movie called Brightburn, or as my wife called it, oh, you mean the bad Superman show? And <laughs> and that's what it is. Brightburn is a movie that is, I mean, there's no surprises. It's hard to do without spoilers. So spoilers for Brightburn, which, you know, didn't do all that well. So if you didn't see it by now, you're probably not going to. It doesn't matter if you know the spoilers or not. The premise is this is Superman, except for it's a horror movie. That's it. The idea is a couple finds a baby in a rocket ship in the woods. They raise it as their own. And when the baby becomes about 13 ish, 12, 13, hits puberty, realizes he has superpowers and decides rather than to become a superhero and save the world, he's just decides he's going to take it over. So he kills a whole bunch of people. That's the movie. That's it. It's what would probably really happen if an angsty teenager had all of Superman's powers. And let's explore that. That was the premise of the film. It was a movie. I mean, it wasn't awful. It was a movie. Eh. <laughs> I can't really recommend it. It's not on my box office it's not list. Anyone's box office list. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, my, my reaction when I first started hearing about this, and this comes from you, know, you and I both having read comics our entire life, in spite of my, my interest in superheroes and I didn't have any interest in seeing this whatsoever because I've read Miracle Man and Irredeemable and Maxi Mortal and Superman Red Sun and any one of a dozen other takes on that game. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I, you know, and if you if you only know the superhero genre through movies and you're new to this whole thing, this probably sounds like a what? That's a great idea. And I saw it as, and this is where we get to the remix thing. This is a remix of a remix of a remix. This has been sampled so many times mm-hmm. in, in comics that I just, my reaction to it was meh. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about these remixes of Superman, as tired as they might seem now, like kind of like, I guess maybe something like Romeo and Juliet that's been redone mm-hmm. forever and ever and always, is that they're speaking to each other. Um, yeah. And I, I, to pull out the Tencent academic word, uh, I think it would probably what Gerard Genet would call hypertextuality, which is where that might, that might be a 20 cent word oh. <laughs> uh, which is where you know there's uh like kind of like a basic text and then other texts mm-hmm. like add on to it whether it's like a parody or a sequel or some sort of horror remix of superman yeah. um, and, and, and i don't mean to imply that i think the idea is bad i mean i i think for all these things that we're talking about and are going to talk about i i think this is certainly 
an interesting approach to any of these narratives. And I agree with what you're saying, Hannah. This one in particular just made me go mad. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of a mad movie. Uh, once again, um, Katia is still traveling the world. Um, I don't know where she, where she is this week. Um, she's actually coming back soon. I think she's, uh, doing it, she's doing it in a balloon with a manservant. Should we do a special Ooh. episode called Where in the World is Katia Gorecki? <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Get a theme song. That'd be great. Where in the world? Anyway, but um, we had to get a guess, as we always do for these shows. And a colleague of Hannah's, right? Uh, I, that's one way you could put our relationship, <laughs> yeah. yes. Uh, so I apparently am just going to get everyone in my family on this show by the end of it. So uh-huh. my brother-in-law, Charlie Bell, mm-hmm. is here. Hi, Charlie. Hi, everyone. So what do you do? I am a first-year PhD student at the University of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I'm studying um, Renaissance drama. Renaissance drama. <sighs> I don't know. Has anybody ever remade one of those? <laughs> I've been racking my brain and I can't think of one. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, I think that this might be an episode where I don't try and trace everything back to the 18th century or the 19th century. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's interesting. I mean, you, you brought up intertextuality, hypertextuality, and the idea of, you know, we tell these stories over and over again. So I guess the first question, because this isn't really about Brightburn. I, I brought that up just because it was right. the one that gave us the idea. In fact, I don't even know if we're going to talk about it again because um, I'm the only one who's seen it. It's not it's not good. I mean, it's not bad. It's fine. If you like horror movies. Yeah. But why do we remake movies like this? Uh, money. <laughs> <laughs> well, not just movies, but books. I mean, in fact, I'll give you one. One that I know is, you know, because you said you're not going to relate things back. One that I know is near and dear to your heart. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't for the audience with going over Pride and Prejudice and Zombies again. Because like, I've, I've talked many times on the show about why I think Pride and Prejudice and Zombies adds to the Pride and Prejudice canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, people love genre. Mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice is a classic romantic comedy more or less so like we've talked about this on like our genre show on other adaptation shows people are comfortable with certain types of narratives and they enjoy watching them again and they enjoy like seeing them in different settings mm-hmm. and in different ways and of course the reason why these things get remade is because there's an audience and therefore money <laughs> uh, um, which I, I mean also but that's not to like say that like they don't add inherent value because I think that you can understand a lot of really important things about Pride and Prejudice after you watch Pride and Prejudice the Bollywood British <laughs> film <laughs> Hollywood like fusion it's not strictly a Bollywood film like seriously like in Pride and Prejudice there's one line that's directly about like imperialism where mr darcy say it says even savages can dance and it's edited out out of most other versions mm-hmm. and bright and prejudice is all about the aftershocks of imperialization and globalization and honestly even zombies you know bring some of that stuff back to the forefront because they keep uh that savages line and they like talk about savage zombies and they also, you know, incorporate zombies, which are, you know, racialized and have always been racialized. Uh, so there we are. There's my prime <laughs> prejudice moment. <laughs> but, you know, uh, this episode, I'm not actually going to say that this is like an 18th century or a 19th century phenomenon or a contemporary one. In fact, it's been going on for basically forever, uh, which is one reason I asked Charlie to be on the show because he studies 
Shakespeare and other things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> aptly put, Hannah, aptly put. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Shakespeare has perhaps been remixed more than almost anyone. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really interesting. You know, you have those um, hit teenage Shakespeare films like 10 Things I Hate About You uh, with Julia Childs, I believe. Is that uh, correct? No, that is. Oh, <laughs> Styles, no, but that just became so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like that movie, but I so want to see the version with Julia Childs. Hello, just <laughs> yeah, my bad. <laughs> That would be amazing. <laughs> just in the middle, in the middle of the movie, they just decide to start, you know, making a turkey. Then you base the bird. And <laughs> I feel like Cat in that movie would be like, I, w- I refuse to cook because I want to like tear down the domestic space. Yeah. But, but it would be so great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that's anyway. good. Well, we, we no, we should talk about this though, because one one of my questions. Anytime we do a show like this, we always want to you know define our terms. And at least in my head, I wasn't thinking about a, a remix the same as a remake. Which is to say, obviously Shakespeare's plays have been being performed over and over again for two or three or five hundred years. You know, right, <laughs> um, right. like that, that. That's 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 happened yeah. you know we we continuously remake these these yeah. and, and plays with, or like, films yeah even but, with changing the staging of it like you know, setting it in contemporary yeah. times or whatever that's not really a remix in the way you're talking about yeah not yeah not quite when i was a teenager for instance i went to a pre-college program at oberlin college where i thought maybe i wanted to study drama so i did that for a summer and one of the things that we got to go to an Oberlin College production of The Tempest starring a pre-Star Trek Patrick Stewart oh, cool. <laughs> as Prospero. It was amazing. It was like, oh, the guy from Dune, you know, and then he, and then he books um, Star Trek like a year or two later. And it's like, I've met him. You know? um, <laughs> um, yeah. And he knows who I am. Sure. Not at all. But it was The Tempest, except for happening in 1987 or 88 or whatever year it was. So they were wearing like business suits and T-shirts. But other than that, I think most of the language was the original Shakespearean dialogue because they hired Patrick Stewart. And like the only reason you're doing that is because you want to hear him do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, when you hire Patrick Stewart to do Shakespeare, you are purchasing the Queen's English. That's that's what you're paying for. So I so they didn't modernize it too much other than mostly it was the outfits. And I think to an extent, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet is the same kind of thing, you know, it, it but it's a right. little more like the like, you know, they use guns instead of swords. And that's slightly more modern, but it it's not the same. Yeah, it recontextualizes yeah. it, but it doesn't it, it's not what West Side Story is a remix, right? Yes, absolutely. Right. And yeah. West Side Story absolutely is is very it, it is a functionally different we are retelling the story, we are reimagining it. It's the difference between Battlestar Galactica 1970s and Battlestar Galactica 2000s, right? It, it's a we're redoing this in a different way. Wait, and I is think it different <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I couldn't help myself. But yes, yeah, you're 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 telling yeah. story different. I mean, like, and, and ten things I hate about you does the same thing. Yeah, it's the later one. Ten things I hate about you is is a very different story that is informed by the original in a way that, like, I think, like, I think Bride and Prejudice and and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, they're not the same as Kira Knightley just doing Pride and Prejudice, right? And and I don't think. 
10 things I hate about you is exactly the same thing as Taming the Shrew with Burton, um, Burton and, yeah. and, and, um, Elizabeth, um, um, Taylor, Taylor. Thank you. So those are different. It's a different thing. It's not quite a reboot, but you know, when you actually go into a different world and like you're being invited when you watch 10 things I hate about you, assuming you know the original Taming of the Shrew, you're being invited by the filmmakers to compare it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, like, for sure. What, for those listeners who might not know, what is Taming of the Shrew about? So Taming of the Shrew is is the story of, um, it's actually pretty problematic in today's day and age. It's the story of Catherine or Kate sort of being tamed by her husband, Petruchio. She, uh, I'm, I'm trying to describe it. Um, in an unproblematic way, but it is problematic. I don't, so, I don't think it's possible. It's a problematic play. Torture her into submission. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. And so all the characters in the play are saying, oh, she's she's a shrew. She talks back. She is active. High-spirited, high isn't that like one of the words they use? Yeah, or something? yeah. yeah. Uh, she's not like her sister who's soft and, and quiet and, and submissive to everybody. Mm-hmm. She's she's a she's a shrew. She'll she'll make any man pay who goes after her. So, so what you've heard is the unproblematic way of describing it. Now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, the nicest possible way. Yeah. So fun fact: uh, I got out of performing a play in seventh grade because I led my class <laughs> in a protest, and this is true because our 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 class was assigned Tamey of the Shrew, and I said this is the most anti-feminist thing we could possibly perform. I'm not doing it. And I, I don't think anyone in my class really cared about feminism. They just yeah. didn't want to perform the play. So they agreed with me and they were like, no. <laughs> nice. And what was the real reason you did this? Well, I, I, I didn't want to perform. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to perform the play. Last time you said you had stage fright when you told me the story. You're like, I didn't have everything to do with that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, like it was no, like the it was not necessarily coming from like a 100 percent like social commentary place. Uh, I admit it, but it still stands. I would not want to perform that as a seventh grader having like some dude boss me around. No, thank you. I mean, I would describe the play as the plot of Taming the True is, you know, we have two sisters and they both need to get married and the older one thinks for herself. So we must break her. Yeah, that's the plot. Yeah. And then over wine to marry the younger one. Yes, because yeah. who would yeah. who would yeah, want she's... the one who has a brain? Why would right. come on? <laughs> Meanwhile, well, so, so the remix of this is "Kiss Me, Kate," right? Yeah, so. yeah. And ten things I think about you. I don't think it's like I think you're supposed to watch it and go, "Oh, I see they did something different here." I think when you watch. Yeah. I think when you watch, um, I don't know, uh, West Side Story, we mentioned before, you're supposed to look at it with Romeo and Juliet and say, oh, I see how I see how they're doing the Romeo and Juliet thing. But it's a little different in a way that I don't think you're supposed to make those comparisons with, you know, tons of love stories are effectively Romeo and Juliet. You know, they're like there are a, a little bit Romeo and Juliet, but but those are so specifically Romeo and Juliet. And I think you're supposed to compare them. And I don't know that you're supposed to do that with hmm, Lion King part two. Yeah. I've seen right. Lion King too. Um, <laughs> Lion King part two is Romeo and Juliet. Lion King is Hamlet. Yeah. For those well, who don't you know, mm-hmm. I mean like the end of 10 things I hate about you is totally different than the end of Team of the Shrew in that 10 things I hate about you. She cat does not change. In fact, her father and the other men, her life are like, Oh no. 
She has a brain. She knows what she's doing. I support her choices. Which is such not a Shakespearean ending. No, of course not. <laughs> at all. <laughs> In Shakespeare, she'd be dead. <laughs> and, you know, it's basically the entire opposite of the play where she does change and she gives this awful speech, which is really the driving reason why no one should want to perform the original Shakespearean play about how, you know, men are masters and they're great and it's wonderful and submission's important. I I haven't bothered to remember. Can I place my hand under my husband's foot? May yeah. it do him ease? Oh, Lord, yeah. yeah. This, this is why I brought you on. So. <laughs> <laughs> you can remember that stuff that I've tried to forget. Yeah, yeah. And somehow we canonize this and we still teach it. I love this. <laughs> yeah, and, and still perform it. I, I, I saw a, a performance of Taming the Shrew in Santa Cruz first time I went out to visit our regular guest, Michael Chemer. Uh, he wasn't involved with that production. It just happened to be at his school. It was a really wonderful production outside in a Redwood Forest, but it was still Taming of the Shrew. I, oh, yeah. I saw it in Urdu at the Globe when I was uh, there. Um, and that was an interesting experience because we were behind like a pillar and it was blocking the uh, translation screen. So, um, Cheap seats, yeah. Yeah. I also like, I also like gave, you know, I'm not going to get into this. Uh, let's just say uh, for reasons that had nothing to do with the play, I left that day from the globe, very angry at someone and he still owes me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know who you are. <laughs> uh, basically anyone who knows me in real life knows who he is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. so but i think that there's a reason that we still perform taming the shrew i mean i i would hope that when you teach taming the shrew to 10th graders today you sort of address the fact that no we really don't want you to behave like this this is bad this is how (laughs) this is how bad things happen to you and you get me too and you go to jail and then eventually become you know if you're lucky a supreme court justice like we (laughs) you know like it's not the it's it's not the way you want people to behave. So I think that today when we teach it, we teach it through a 21st century lens where we say, yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe things were a little problematic in the, in the 16th century. So yay. But I think that also when you make something like 10 things I hate about you, you are asking somebody to, all right, First, I want you to go read Taming of the Shrew. Then I want you to watch this movie and see how maybe the world's better now. You know, or maybe we can try harder or maybe we can. Is that is that all they're saying? Because, like, I don't know. uh, Charlie has more experience teaching Shakespeare than I do. But I think like anytime we're in a historical period, we might tend to say, oh, the world is better now. But is the world 100 percent better now? Do we not still enact some of the same like. That's sort of a dangerous narrative. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Hannah. I don't think it's be- I don't think it's one hundred percent better. One percent is good, though, I mean, right? That's I mean, progress. Like, <laughs> I mean, the reason why we like still teach, I don't know. Let's go with Shakespeare instead of Victorian stuff. Romeo and Juliet, or Taming the Shrew, or Hamlet, mm-hmm. is that we still like, of course, the way we think about things, especially like I don't know, the king um, has changed, but we still think similarly to, especially about relationships. I mean, it was still like the 1970s when Christopher Lash wrote Haven in a Heartless World, which is a book about how the domestic space is a haven for men who go out to work and it's falling apart because women are gaining independence and divorce is happening and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Um, it's just, 
I, I, I don't mean to imply that I think the world's yay, the world's the, the world's fine. Racism's over. Sexism's over. And yay. You know, like, I don't think that's the the case. I But I do think that you're supposed to watch uh, Tame Me of the Shrew and then watch 10 Things I Hate About You. And you're supposed to sit down and have a conversation about assuming you watch just the film versions of, of both. Why does Elizabeth Taylor relent and Julia Stiles I'm, I'm not saying Kate because it would be confusing but why does Elizabeth yeah. Taylor like f- step in line and Julia Stiles says no like I think you're supposed to ask that question I, I think mm. that's the purpose of of I mean again is it better no because Julia Stiles shouldn't have been put in the place in, the, in that you know in that place in the first place but nor should Liz Taylor right so I don't think it's I don't think it's better 100%, but I think you are supposed to look at it as part of an ongoing conversation, the intertextuality between the two and say, you know, how, how does this film that refers to the earlier text of, of, of the actual truth copy of Taming and the Shrew, like how do these changes make us think of it a different way? Like what, what are we supposed to get out of considering them together? I, I just, I have a hard time believing you're ever supposed to watch 10 things I hate about you in a vacuum. I, I just don't think that makes sense. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I agree with you. There's, um, there's another, um, sort of teenage adaptation of, of Shakespeare. It's called O. Yes. And it's, um, oh my God. So good. Yeah. So oh, good. Really? Yeah. Like yes. Well, but I, I, I think that it does, it, it does something that Shakespeare doesn't where it makes you sit there and consider like, why is all of this happening to this one person? And it brings up all of the sort of mm-hmm. racial undertones in the play and makes them a lot more explicit. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, um, uh, the guy playing O has this really impassioned speech, and that hit Mikai Pfeiffer, by the way, again from of, of yeah, ER yeah, yeah. This was during a period, oh, and also starring Julia uh, Stiles, Stiles again yeah. during during a period yeah. when she was just going to be the teenage actress who makes all of Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think I, I think that's what you're what you were talking about with Ten Things I Hate About You is happening here with O. You, you know the original text and now you're saying, or original if you can even call it that, but you know that, that Shakespearean text and then you say, well, here are some problems with it. Let's see what would happen if we did something different. How does that affect us as an audience and how does that affect the story overall? Yeah. So for those who haven't seen O, O is the story. We should mention this. It's the story of Othello, yeah. um, but which uh, Othello, an extremely racially progressive play for 500 years ago, I guess 400 years ago, 450. I, yeah. Um, don't do math. Yeah. I'm, I'm an English major. Um, but, but, um, but <laughs> for the Shakespeare, yeah, that's era. right. Right. <laughs> but um, that said, it, it's, Still, it's always very faithful to Othello. They changed some names and it happens at a basketball camp. And right. it's really, really good. So it's so it's less racially progressive than it was during the Shakespearean era. <laughs> <I'm saying. laughs> it's really good. And then she also, again, Julie Stiles also, as I said, it was during that period when she was just making these movies over and over again. She starred in a version of Hamlet as well. Between between wow. 10 Things I Hate About You and O. Ten things I hate about you is 1999. Hamlet is 2000, and O is 2001. Like literally, this is just what she was doing with her wow. life. <laughs> and I don't know. I just I think those are important questions. Though I think that like, I mean we're we're sticking to the Shakespearean ones right now, but I think that 
I think it's really easy to do with Shakespeare because these stories are so well known that one can, and yeah, been, there's so right. many and one them. can assume yeah. that no matter what, you know, you, you know, you are an adult who lives on the planet Earth. You have some familiarity with Romeo and Juliet. This is a cultural touchstone right. that we can start with. And now we can move it to um, modern times with Leonardo DiCaprio, or we can make them lions, or we can make them zombies. If you see warm bodies, one warm bodies, yes. yes. Uh, oh, one man. of my favorite, and warm bodies is good. One of my favorite versions of this is: um, uh, Have you seen uh, Private Romeo? Private Romeo is a. Is I haven't a, is seen that one. No. Private Romeo, 2011 film. It is exactly Romeo and Juliet, except for it takes place in its entirety at an all boys military academy. <laughs> mm. It's brilliant. It's just 2011, so we are still in the don't ask, don't tell era, and it's very oddly put together because it's an indie film, and these are the kinds of things that you know only people like me watch. Um, I'm sure it made fives, if not tens, of dollars at the box office, and <laughs> it is um, it's an all boys military academy, and they are in English class. They're studying Romeo and Juliet, so sometimes you just have the guys sitting down in classroom reading Romeo and Juliet. Other times they're, you know, out and about either doing other military activities or just cleaning. Maybe they're at a party. Maybe they're playing basketball and their dialogue is still from Romeo and Juliet. And it's an all boys military academy. So all the female characters are just male and two of them fall in love with each other. And it, the narrative becomes about homosexuality because all the characters are male and with no changes to dialogue, it effectively becomes a brilliant film about what does it mean to be closeted in the military? It's all just visual changes. They're still just doing the original Shakespearean dialogue. It is so good. Huh? They change the pronouns in it. Just nope. out of curiosity. No, they do not. No. Okay. Okay. No. And, and, and I think that's a good choice. I just, I was curious. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing because it's not about transgender people. The right. character who's they they just yeah. stuck with the, the yeah the character yeah. playing Juliet is not and, and in fact they all have two names. So for instance, there's a character so Sam Singleton also Romeo. He's the one reading Romeo. Glenn Manigan also Juliet. Right. So um, so those two characters, mm-hmm. Sam and Glenn, it's their love story. But Sam has all of Romeo's lines. Glenn has all of Juliet's lines. And then for smaller characters, um, for instance, there is um, there's a guy named Josh who reads both the ro- the parts of Mercutio and Capulet. And then there's a character, Carlos, who reads the parts of other parts of Capulet that don't that um, that that um, Josh doesn't get, but also Tibble. And then there's this guy, Gus, who's Capulet's wife and Benvolio. So some of them just have double have double roles and doubled yeah. up. But it's still the original dialogue. Huh. I, I'm very highly recommending this film that yeah. no one's going to watch with me. But you, sh- you totally should. <laughs> so, like, I mean, like, I think that the unifying factor of all these different adaptations of Shakespeare that we've talked about is kind of what... You know, I, I talked a bit about with the Prime Prejudice remixes at the beginning. They they tackle different like big cultural or political questions. Like Team of the Shrew is very invested in feminism and a feminist rewriting of that play, and you know, uh, name checks um, important works like the Feminist Mystique. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, O is very interested whether it succeeds fully or not in like talking about systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the what you've just mentioned uh, very private, clearly, private uh, Romeo, yeah, private Romeo is very like 
very clearly making that statement you were talking about, about mm-hmm. what it's like to be gay in the military at that particular point in time. Uh, West Side Story is all about cultural difference and a different kind of prejudice than just like two families rivaling each other because mm-hmm. they're mad. Um, it's class and, class and race based. In, in, in yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what is it? Is there anything else that like changes in a remix besides like the different kind of, for lack of a better word, politics of a certain adaptation? See, I think there is. I and mean, we, we chose all the ones that are, it's weird because all of us are going to pick yeah. ones that are just sort of academically interesting to us because that's what we do. But I don't know that, that like, I don't know that everybody is going to see Pride and Prejudice and Zombies just because I want to think about, you know, the demonization of the other, which is what you're doing, right? But like, there's a, there's also a, you know, it's kind of cool to watch, watch Lizzie kill some zombies, right? <laughs> like, like, I mean, like, I, like, I think there's, I think that's part yeah. of it. And I, and, um, in our, in our comments on the blog, I can, I beat Hannah to the plug this week. <laughs> Read our blog, www.boxpathpath.com, where you can be a part of the conversation. Um, on our blog, we had a comment from uh, one of our regular listeners, um, Link, and he said, for what it's worth, I read uh, PPZ and have never read an Austin novel, and I greatly enjoyed it. And he, this guy I know, he's been on the show before, Link would never have just ever, ever, ever is never going to just voluntarily read Jane Austen. It wasn't assigned to him in school, so he didn't. But this, you know, he saw this as uh, he saw the book and it's like, oh, that's kind of clever. And he and he got something out of it. So to an extent, there's the this exposes you to something new, kind of. I mean, uh, there, there was a lot of the original novel maintained in Pride and Prejudice. In that particular one, yes. Yes, in the novel. Yeah. I, I, I guess one of the underlying questions with this, with like the motivation, like why do this? Why, why do a remix version of something? Like what, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, is it just a, gee, I'm going to base this on Moby Dick and hope nobody notices. Okay. Or, or, or are you, usually, I mean that, that whole idea the intertextual thing of, I am using this for a specific reason, wherein the people who get this reference are going to make those comparisons and see something out of it. And the people who don't know those references are just going to hopefully enjoy mm-hmm. the movie. Um, so I guess, you know, what are the, the motivations well, for, for doing that? And as we've been talking, I've also been thinking about, you know, the term remix coming from, from musical remix, ideas. Like, that, that version. <laughs> yeah. People who do, you do new versions of songs when you do a cover version of a song and you make the decision of, do I do a really true version of this or do I really shake it up and do something mm-hmm. very differently? And, you know, the response to that, and I think the motivations and, and the way we perceive that are, are mm-hmm. very different. And there's good yeah. reasons to do both. Well, you know, yeah, and, and right. There's good reasons to do you know, both. Like, Wayne, you got me thinking that, you know, there certainly is like a certain like kind of critical tradition that you place. I mean, even if it's popular culture and you're doing something really ridiculous, like Prime Person Zombies, you're placing yourself in the same context as the people who came before you. Um, right. Uh, I mean, like, you know, Kesha remixed Old Flames <laughs> can't hold a candle to you. Uh, uh, I just love that you, I'm not going to talk about 18th century today. And I, the second you said that, I should have been like, oh, so obviously there's going to be some Kesha talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she, she had Dolly Parton sing it with her. So it was, you know, mm-hmm. more of, you know, kind of a, 
throwback and she put herself directly in conversation with Dolly Parton and more of like the country singers who inspired her in general than mm-hmm. she had previously. And I think that's kind of like mm-hmm. what a lot of these like Shakespearean adaptations mm-hmm. are doing too. And the others we've talked about. We don't talk about music enough on this show for a show about pop culture. We should do that more. But to fit in there, I, w- I will point out that the Fugees were very big on using the Bee Gees to where several times they would have the Bee Gees actually perform with them. And it, people didn't actually understand yeah. that. But like if you listen to Ghetto Superstar, which uses Islands in the Stream, my wife, again, very big Bee Gees fan. Like when the first time she heard Ghetto Superstar, they're just ripping off the Bee Gees. And it's like, that, that's Barry Gibb playing guitar. So it's not so much a remix as they just invited him into the group. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I, and I, but I think that, you know, there is something, those islands in the stream and Ghetto Superstar are two very different songs. You know, that's, it is mm-hmm. doing something different. And it's, and it's, it's art in conversation mm-hmm. with itself uh, in, in any of these contexts, which I, that I find fascinating. I wonder what happens though, when you don't know it's a remix. So, and I think that happens a lot yeah, with music, right, but yeah. when you, when you mentioned Moby Dick, but my first thought was, I mean, Hannah mentioned Serenity because she's still just clinging on to people putting no, in, putting guys, $500 I mean, into our box office game. But- no, look, I don't care. It's the most amazing movie I've ever seen. I mean, it's a tuna fish named Justice and he's chasing the bat. How is it not Moby Dick? <laughs> well, it is. And that's what I but I think, um, I don't think a lot of people know Jaws is Moby Dick. Yeah. Well, and that's, there's, there is, there's that modern recontextualization of stuff. If you haven't read Shakespeare or Austin or, or Moby Melville. Dick or, yeah, or Melville, if you haven't been exposed to these things, if you were raised in a cave and have never heard tell of Superman, what do you make of Brightburn? You know, like uh, there, you have different audiences for these different things. If you're, if you're not aware of the source material, whatever the influence happens to be, you, all the people who, who listened to Led Zeppelin and had never heard tell of any of the blues artists that mm-hmm. they were covering at the time and being influenced by, you, they opened the world up to a lot of that stuff. You know, I, I am aware of a lot of those old blues artists because of the rock and roll that referenced them, but I'm one of those people, you know, I go back. Elvis did not write stuff, Hound Dog. But, yeah, right, right. Uh, so, or really yeah. anything else, you know, I mean, like, yeah. that was like Elvis's whole gig. So, yeah. And uh, to be fair, most singers back then, right, right. Like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, not, that, but, I'm, but, yeah. but most of them yeah. don't get to be called the king, yeah. right? Like he's, you know, that, right. he's the one right. that was relevant there. So, yeah, I mean, there is some, something that you are yeah. bringing, you are bringing the art somewhere, even if you're appropriating it. But like, like, I don't think, I don't think Spielberg's trying to hide the fact that, that Jaws is Moby Dick. I don't think, and, or, or and I don't, I'm going to trust Hannah on Serenity, but whoever bothered to direct that thing, and, like, I mean, you said you're saying it's obviously Moby Dick, right? Yeah, it's yeah. It has to be, but you know, I think I think that like we're getting at a question one of our listeners posed to us uh, indirectly. Uh, so I will quote her and spill it out. Uh, Nicole Aceto said, you know, she talked about West Side Story as the first thing she thought of, which we've talked about a bit, and she said this leads to the question of what happens when a retelling becomes famous on its own. Mm-hmm. So, like. I mean, look, I watched Mm -hmm. 10 Things I Hate About You all throughout high school way too many times with all my friends. And uh, I think about 90% of them never read Tina the Shrew, nor cared to. (laughs) My little sister is the same way. She loves those movies, does not like reading Mm -hmm. Shakespeare very much. Um, But what's really interesting about that is like those Shakespeare plays, uh, Romeo and Juliet is a great example. 
Um, it, it itself sort of was a remix from an earlier poem by Arthur Brooke called The Tragical History of Romeus, Romeus and, yeah. and Juliet. Great yeah, he didn't even really do much to like change the title, right? Um, he did change the no end a little bit and know. changed a few of the details in there, but I only know about Arthur Brooke because I'm, I'm right. studying Have this. you read the Brooke uh, play? I've, it's actually I played a poem. Poem, poem. So yeah, yeah. I meant poem. Sorry, because yeah. um, I so I've taught it. I've taught the poem, and it's always great when I teach it, and then a student tries to do. Here's typical mistake in freshman book report. So if you're if you're going to be a freshman in college sometime soon, and like you're a senior now, and you're <laughs> and you're moving on, here's something you don't want to do when you're writing your papers, your term papers for freshman composition. In the classic poem, it's not necessarily. Everything that you read is not a classic. In the well-known poem, Tragical right. History of Romeo and Juliet. No, nobody, nobody knows this, knows song, this poem. Um, I assure you, the 22 kids that I was teaching the year I taught it are one of 23 people at my college <laughs> who, have re- who, who, have read, who have read that, that poem. I, I being the other one. When I told our professor, who is our resident Shakespearean scholar, that I was going to teach it, he looked at me and he said, why? <laughs> um, I like it a lot. And one of the reasons that I like it, and this yeah. goes into our remix, and I'm telling this story for a reason. The tragical history of Romeo and Juliet is about a guy who meets this girl at a dinner. It's not really a party. It's more of a dinner. And he falls in love with her. And then he woos her over the course of nine, ten months. And they haven't, they haven't, you know, their families hate each other. So they have a secret affair where they're seeing each other. And he's crawling in her window every night. And, and this goes on for almost a year. Uh, I believe they are 17 and 18 in the in the poem or 18 and 19. They're, you know, they're they're late teenagers. Romeo and Juliet lowers the ages of the characters and takes this one year narrative. By the way, you know, it's a narrative uh, a year because they celebrate several holidays. They talk about Christmas and Easter over the course of their their relationship. And Shakespeare, who was taking this at his time, well-known poem and making an adaptation for the for the stage, he did what every director who makes an adaptation of some book for a Hollywood film does. And, you know, you as a as a person today hate it because you're like, oh, the book's better. You know, the, the Game of Thrones people, the book's better. Um, <laughs> Shakespeare said nine months, 10 months. This is really fucking boring. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Three days. Three days. days. They're gonna do this. We're gonna do this entire thing in a long weekend. Yeah. And and he and he cuts it down in order to make it more exciting. He decided it's way more exciting if they barely know each other. And because of those changes, it turns into it turns from this long form kind of interesting love story into two teenage kids who really want to fuck. That's what they really want. They're willing to die to fuck. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the difference. I mean, like that's everybody thinks of Romeo and Juliet as a oh, great, great romance, but it's not. It's two horny teenagers, but it doesn't seem like that in Romeo and Juliet. You, you get to see their relationship develop. And they also have Mercutio, who is the best character in the thing. Mercutio is mentioned in one line of the original Brooks poem. He's just a name that the, uh, Romeo goes and here's the people at the, par- at the party. And he just names a whole bunch of names, one of which is Mercutio. And Shakespeare apparently liked his name. So he's like, let's give that guy a backstory. And a really good speech about yeah. Queen <laughs> yeah. Mab. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I mean, obviously, Romeo and Juliet is a thing that popularly survived. And West Side Story is one of these remixes that's like broken from the many, many remixes to be so famous that 
Spielberg's now remaking it into a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like what happens then like to those like different narratives that break off and become famous enough to be like recognized in their own right as separate media from just like a retelling of, you know, Tame of the Shrew. Cause I think that 10 things I hate about you is still like popularly known as a retelling of Taming of the Shrew and it is always framed that way. And mm-hmm. while West Side Story is definitely framed as being tied to Romeo and Juliet, it is its own thing. Uh, and Jaws or something like that in particular is its own thing. And Good Omens, while I, at the beginning of the show, joked that it could be a retelling or remix of Paradise Lost, it's also definitely considered its own thing. Mm-hmm. So how do we approach things like that? Are you asking when, how do we approach them when people don't know or when they do? Because I think 10 things about you, I think it's its own thing, but I think most, even uh, uh, Charlie, you can say like you're, you said your little sister likes it, but she hates Shakespeare, but she knows, right? She's aware that it's a remake. She just doesn't care. That's right. Yeah. She's aware, but I, I'm not sure she would be aware if I weren't there saying you really need to read this play okay. so you get all the jokes. Okay. Um, cause, cause I, cause, cause yeah, I, I, I wonder, the reason I wonder is, you know, I mean, we made, we, we made the joke when Hannah mentioned, um, oh, is there a difference between the two Galacticas? I mean, you're joking. You know, there's a difference there, but you know, but they are, but every, every fan of new Galactica is aware of old Galactica. They might not be aware of Galactica 80 and you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know, like Galactica 80 for people who have not seen it is, Oh, you thought you hated Caprica. <laughs> Hold my beer. Um, but, um, but <laughs> when you've seen Galactica 1980, I take it. Yeah. In 1980. I, <laughs> because there weren't 400 other shows. That's right. History, history forgot them. it for a reason. <laughs> We, yeah. <laughs> we had to watch it. Um, but um, like, I, like, I think there's a little something different when you, when you have something like, like Jaws or I'm trying to think what else, what else did, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? When it sort of yeah. takes a life yeah, of he, its own. Do people know right? that Oh Brother, that, yeah. there are, uh, well, I mean, I know everybody here does, but Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Brilliant film. Do people uh, know it's the, oh, oh come mm. on. Oh, come <laughs> on. Oh, oh, the Soggy Bottom Boys. Um, great soundtrack. But anyway, do people know it's related to the Odyssey? I think scholars do, but do regular people? And is it, and yeah. is it, is it okay to, and, and yeah. does it, and does it matter? Yeah. Well, and I, I, you know, some of that, you know, that, that remaking, some of that I think is people don't want to read Shakespeare or Austin or whoever, you know, remaking it for a modern audience, removing it from its classical roots. There's some of that people are mm-hmm. resistant to Shakespeare sounds like school. I'm not going to go see Romeo and Juliet, but West Side Story, they got a snappy soundtrack. Mm-hmm. You know? So you know, it, it's some of it, I do think is just updating it for a modern audience, trying to take it out of context and taking these core concepts and story ideas and relationships and reframing it in a way that people will watch and enjoy and actually experience um, to varying degrees mm-hmm. of success, obviously. But yeah, but then it is, they become their own artifact in that way as well. You know, like, do you have to know anything about Romeo and Juliet? To well, that, kick out I mean, West that's, I mean, reframing no. it is absolutely why Lion King exists, right? Like they, they know they can't show yeah, right. Hamlet to a bunch right. of seven year olds. 
and, and, there, and there's there's references. I you know, going back to the music thing in Alice Cooper's um, "Schools Out" album, which is a concept album about school and whatever. He overtly references West Side Story. I mean, he quotes lyrics yeah. from you know, the, the 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 Jets and the Sharks. Sharks, thank you. Yeah, just like there there are lines straight out of West Side Story, and like okay, so in the song, is he referencing Romeo and Juliet? No, <laughs> you know, uh, he's he's calling a reference to a, a cultural artifact that people at that time would have known outside of mm-hmm. Shakespeare entirely. Um, but he's well, bright, he's really bright and well read. I wouldn't be surprised if he knew that reference was there. So is there you know, yet another metal layer, layer of meaning of why he did that within the context of his album, which is a much larger and way off topic thing? It just I'm bringing yeah. that in these metal levels of. How how far removed do you have to be from the truth? So you know the source. The, the, yeah, the, the truth copy. Yeah, that's a term for my dissertation um, because I, I was trying to make I was trying to make a distinction yeah. between the um, the platonic yeah, ideal like and what uh, because of my so just for people who. You know, for people who aren't Wayne, who haven't read that chapter of my dissertation, um, the, the the point that I was trying to make was there's a concept called a platonic ideal that I don't need to go into too many details of. But it's where you start saying, well, the book's better and you're pointing at the original and you can say the Song of Fire and Ice bu- uh, books are the real Game of Thrones. And then the the HBO thing is a remake and adaptation. And you can do that with Superman you think you can say, well, I read action comics number one and that's the real Superman. But is it really? Because the interesting thing is to everybody, everybody who, who watches West side story thinks of the real story as being Romeo and Juliet, but it's not the real story is Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. or at least yeah. that's the original, but I don't, and even, and even that, that is, comes yeah, from yeah, even an that's Italian from an Italian source, source which yeah. is ultimately probably mm-hmm. adapted from Troilus and Cressida. We're not sure. It's it, you know, it gets, it gets really, really confusing, but it doesn't matter because when people yeah. think of the like, we're pretty sure that when most people think of the real Romeo and Juliet, they're not thinking of West Side Story. They're not thinking of DiCaprio. They're thinking of the thing that Shakespeare wrote, which is not the original, and it's not. You know, it inherits from stuff. It's the one that we know as it it became the truth copy. Right, right. So for most people, yeah. You know, I think that, you know, a thing that we've talked about when it comes to things taking on a life of their own, something to go to musical theater besides Mm -hmm. West Side Story, Wicked. Mm -hmm. Wicked Wicked is a total remix of both the book and the musical, it's a total remix of The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) And for one thing, the book, Totally not age appropriate for the original audience <laughs> of the Wizard of Oz series. Not at all. Um, yeah. the, a lot of the actual Oz books are not necessarily age appropriate. Right. <laughs> and I mean, but, I, yeah. but I mean, like, yeah, Wicked's we, we really, worse. Yeah. 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 Really not. Yeah. Really, really, really not. If you care about what your children read, which my parents do. So I'm glad they didn't know what I was reading. So, <laughs> um, as long as it didn't have swear but, words in it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wicked does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Wicked has all the things. I learned a lot. You know, Wicked, I learned a lot. Um, but like, you know, Wicked the musical and like, you know, West Side Story, people who do not care about traditional theater necessarily might care about Broadway musicals. People who don't want to be bogged down in the whale textbook that is Moby Dick are interested in horror action films like Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, it's not just saying different things 
when it comes to like having some sort of message in a text, it's also like, who do you want to reach? Yeah. So does that come down to money again, Hannah? I mean, everything comes down to money, probably. Eventually. Well, I don't want to be that cynical yet, though. But I mean, yet you're probably right. But I also think that, you know, we've talked about oh, and we talked about the changes that are made there, or the changes that are made with West Side Story. But let's go back to Brightburn. I don't know that the changes are specifically to address a specific cultural issue with Brightburn. And I don't think that the producers of Brightburn said, you know, no one's going to pay attention to a Superman movie in 2019. Seriously. Right. (laughs) So like, obviously they are what they wanted to say was, I have a different take on this. You know, this is the world that I would see it in. What would Superman be like to me? And with this change, when you mentioned briefly, for instance, red sun, um, mm. is a is a Superman book, which was the entire premise of Red Sun is what would Superman's life have been like if the rocket landed in communist Russia instead of in Kansas? And that, that's the mm. that's the premise. And go from there. So he becomes a he becomes a hero of the state of the Russian state. And they essentially take over the world because they've got fucking because Superman. That's they do, right. <laughs> and that's yep. and it's it's really good. It's a really good Superman narrative. And but it's constantly, hey, you know, this guy in here is Batman and he's a little different because the world changes in such a way that Batman can't be the hero that he wanted to be with Superman. And Wonder Woman is a little different. Everything when you read Red Sun, you're expected. I don't know that Red Sun works for people who aren't Superman fans already. Like, uh, I don't know. I I, I think that like that, you know, I think that like part of the appeal of some of these like kind of what if stories. um is that, you know, they, they just tell a different narrative with kind of some characters you recognize. I mean, this is kind of like how a couple of people have like, and by people, I mean, creators have made like some extra cash. They've like changed one thing like, and I don't know how I know this, but I do. And I'm ashamed of it. Stephanie Meyer rewrote Twilight, but flipped the genders. So Bo became Bella and a human and Edward became, I don't know, some female vampire with an E name. Really? Um, See, I don't know this one. Yeah. That's not the way yeah. I, that's not the one I thought you were going to go with. <laughs> uh, what did you think I was going to go with? I thought you were going to go with gray, which is 50 shades of gray from, um, I mean, from Christian's point of view. Yeah. And, and I mean that, that works too. Or like any, any number of like, you know, comic books will have like, Oh, well here's like Spider-Man. If we told him in a fairy tale setting, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, plus, you know, there's alternate timelines and all of these other things, which is, you know, else worlds and what if. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah. there's always like the special episodes on television uh, where it's like a sliding doors kind of thing. Like there's the episode on Buffy where she's imprisoned in the mental asylum. Because best episode of Buffy. Like, mm, one of the best. It's hard to say. There's so many best episodes of yeah. Buffy. That one's really good. She, yeah. But for those of you who haven't watched, like she's imagined the whole world of Buffy and they've committed her to an asylum and like it flashes back and forth between that real world and the world we thought we knew. Mm-hmm. And we see how these different narratives play out. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to what made Bandersnatch seem appealing the Netflix choose your own adventure. Cause you could play out different. What if narratives? Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, isn't it fascinating? What if Alphaba, the wicked witch of the West were actually good? Mm-hmm. What, what if, this what if that i think it's also a little bit of the fan fiction aspect of you know i want to play in this world to go back to an earlier episode that you talked about because with wicked yes she's good 
but Wicked, it doesn't really violate any of the truth narrative to Wizard of Oz. It's not like it's not like Red Sun or Brightburn, where it's like in here, Superman murders people with Wicked. It's more like, you know, things aren't she ain't so bad if you look at it from her point of view. Yeah, here's another point of view. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is and I think they're both interesting exercises that well, and, and have they've made they've made the, the comment, you know, Walking Dead where you know, Negan comes in as as the big bad. And they've made the point at different times that if you would if the series had started with him, you would see him as the hero and this group of people who are our current main characters coming in and killing his people would have been horrible. So that much the same thing. It's that point of view. It's like, well, it doesn't contradict the truth copy, but here's information you didn't know. It's a different point of view on it. And Charlie, you're you're an actual human who performs plays. Right. I'm actually I thought you were going to say I am, yeah. I am actually a human, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, that I'll leave up to debate. Uh, different episode, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> when, when you perform a play, like the performer and the director and everyone involved make certain choices that while might not make it a remix, like it, it could potentially be one if you made enough different choices, right? Right. Um, one of the interesting things, um, going back to, is it Private Romeo? Is that the name of the film you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's one. So people do that in live theater all the time, sort of like gender flipping. Mm -hmm. I believe there was a really, um, successful, it may still be going on. Um, all female cast of Julius Caesar, um, set in a a women's prison. Okay. And I haven't seen it, but I've heard that it's a really great production. And that obviously changes the way we would look at that play. Um, I just saw a, a play that gender bent a main character. Uh, it's measure for measure. And mm-hmm. the, the, again, uh, uh, they were redoing it as a me too play because in this play, um, Isabella, who is trying to become a nun is basically told by this person in power over her, have sex with me or your brother dies. And, um, the Duke is actually in charge of Angelo, the guy who does the, um, the sexual extortion. And, um, they played that part as a woman and that changed the end because at the end, the Duke proposes to Isabella after she's been virtuous and, and shown Angelo to be an evil character Mm -hmm. playing it as a woman. They kept the proposal, but I'm not sure it played really well to audiences because I don't think they were expecting it. Again, part of that is probably because I'm in Alabama. Yeah. Um, We're not really attuned to that kind of of stuff. Um, well, and things like that recontextualize as well. So that you know, that yeah. adds another layer of why to remake these things. Um, it just it adds a whole different point of view to this stuff. I, I want to jump back to the music. I just while we were talking, I thought of of different types of of cover songs and how you do this sort of thing and the different intentions behind it. Um, Cheap Trick many years ago did a song for song cover of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's," and if you listen to it. Boy, is it Sergeant Peppers. Mm-hmm. Like they they just kind of do the album completely straight. I'm a cheap trick fan. It's kind of fascinating to hear, but I don't know that it brings anything new to the experience other than, oh, that's not John's voice, that's someone else, you know. So it, it's it's really an amazingly true cover, um, which you know, then begs the question of why did you do this entire album that way? And I want to contrast it. There was a, a band, Slovenian band called Leibach in the 1980s. I think they're still around, actually. I don't know how to describe them. Avant-garde art rock 
noise. Anyway, <laughs> they, yeah, okay. they did several. They did several albums, and the one I'm going to mention is they did a song for song cover of the Beatles' "Let It Be," and boy, was it not the "Let It Be" you expect. It was a complete deconstruction of it in terms of music and vocalizations and voice and whatever. So you know, cheap trick remake that is absolutely true to the truth copy versus this let it be by Leibach that is radically different. So, you know, just the motivations of that go into making those. And I think that expands out to the types of things we're talking about. You know, what are your reasons for doing this? And what are you trying to say when you do? I want to refer everybody to um, an episode, a good friend of ours, a good friend of the show, Danny Anderson. He did an episode devoted to analyzing the one of the most recent albums by the band Weezer. Weezer, for those who don't know, have a habit of naming their albums Weezer. They have like six albums right. that are called Weezer because, you know, seriously, fuck you. That's it's annoying. <laughs> um, um, but the uh, so they they came out with two albums this year called Weezer, one that's black, which they call the black album, which, you know, confuses people with other people who are the black album. And one that they this teal that they're called the teal, that is called the teal album. The teal album is all covers and it's fascinating because they, they clearly made the Teal album because they had been asked by fans and Danny goes into the history of this on, on his show, but they'd been asked by fans to cover Toto's Africa mm-hmm. um, because um, hipster millennials like the song Africa. I, I remember when it happened the first time, you know, because. It's a good song, <laughs> but it, but it's it's weird to me that Africa is come back. But and, and, and it ties in because it's by the band Toto, which ties into our entire Wizard of Oz. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> nice, nice segue. Yes. But, uh, well, but but Africa is being like there are so many covers on. Just go to YouTube and type Africa yeah. cover. People are rebuilding this song over and over again. And so someone asked um, Weezer, "You guys should cover this," and they did. And it sounds like Toto doing Africa. Yeah. It's why did you do this? It's, it's actually not quite as good, but it's a, it's a really, you know, if they ever make Toto the movie, which they won't, you know, have Weezer perform as them because that'll be you know, pretty good. It'll be, it'll be cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. And, um, and, but they have other covers on that album, some of which are really faithful remakes. Cause I listened to, I went back and I went to listen to the entire album. Some of them are really faithful remakes and some of them, they just kind of go their own direction. So the, the two that are like diametrically opposed to me are they do Africa, which I, I don't understand why, because I could, you know, I can just listen to Toto and then they do no scrubs by TLC, which is vastly different <laughs> and and, yeah. and and they completely i mean first off obviously there's a gender a, a gender flipping there but also they just vastly recontextualize the song they don't perform yeah. it the same way so it's fascinating to me you know on one on one album they'll make different choices and to sit there and try and figure out why they've made these decisions i uh the the jam band fish that that my one co-worker listens to a lot and follows them around do <laughs> like the dead's an gone. annual yeah because the dead's gone yeah. uh, a remix of the do, dead yes yeah right uh they they do halloween shows where they come out and do a cover of an entire album by someone else but they do it in their style. So you get these long extended jam band versions of it. I can't you know, call any to mind right now because I don't, you know, I, I hear him play it, 
But they choose an album by an artist who's not a jam band kind of thing, and then they do their thing, and they do this really pretty regularly. Um, so they're bringing something different to that. A couple of years ago, Alice Cooper formed a new band called the Hollywood Vampires, wherein he and a bunch of guest stars in this band did covers of old rock songs by friend of his friends of his who had died. Mm-hmm. So it was very much, here's a tribute to my dead friends. Like there, there's one original song on the album called my dead drunk friends <laughs> where he's, he's kind of, he's, he's aware, like he's a tribute to these people. He was close to people in, in the music industry, but it's also commentary and they died because they did really stupid things and you mm-hmm. know, alcohol and drugs and whatever. And some of those are really straight covers and some of them are way off the wall. And you know, his motivations is very much, here's people I know and loved and I want to do a tribute to them. But I want to also want to tell people to stop drinking before you kill yourself. I'm trying to remember who you told me. There's somebody that you're a fan of. I can't remember which band it is, but somebody re-records his own album like 20 years later. Oh yeah. No, there's, um, there's a musician by the name of Will Oldham who has recorded under different names. Uh, his first three, four albums were under variations of the name palace. It was palace, palace brothers, palace songs, palace music. Those are all different band names, but they're not. And then he did like one album under his name, Will Oldham. And he has since been recording under the name Bonnie Prince Billy. And he recorded an album called Bonnie Prince Billy sings greatest palace music where he went back and re-recorded his own music that he recorded under the name Palace. But later. And and no no not really like five oh, years. Is it really later. that close? Like really not, okay. Yeah yeah not long at all. And some of them are just radically different versions of these songs that he had written and recorded. And I I find that fascinating that he's able to go into his own catalog and completely reinterpret. Mm-hmm what he's done um one of my my favorites on it there's there's a song called ohio riverboat song and the original is this slow dirge like horribly depressing oh my god this is ah and when he re-records it as bonnie prince billy same lyrics completely upbeat song of hope Mm -hmm. I, i find that fascinating that he can just recontextualize it purely through the music. I'll give you a, the similar one for me is um, for people who don't know, I am a huge Prince fan. I am a massive Prince fan. Uh, as we record this, we are two days after Prince's birthday. May he rest in peace. Peace. Greatest musician of all time. Mute Hannah's mic. Um, <laughs> but um, one of the things that was, um, that was, great about Prince was if you know the story about when he briefly became the artist formerly known as very complicated reasons that had to do with rights disputes of who owned his music at the time and what he was, you know, what he was making royalties of with Warner Brothers. And it gets complicated. That's not the point. The point is one of Prince's biggest songs of all time is 1999, recorded in 1982 as was um, was a was a massive hit for um, for Prince. And when the actual year 1999 came along, 17 years later, he was at a point where he wasn't allowed to use the name Prince for complicated legal reasons and wasn't necessarily seen um, seen as much royalties on that song as he wanted. And, you know, it was 1999. Everyone was afraid of the year 2000, the bug, and you know, there's obviously going to be great parties. So he's, you know, there's a point where people are just playing the song on the radio all the time for a year. So Prince decided, 
kind of want a piece of that. So he recorded a new album as um, the new power generation, which was Prince's backup band featuring the artist formerly known as Prince. They recorded a album called 1999, the new master. And they recorded this in, you know, in 1999 <laughs> and 1999 has um, seven tracks on it. Um, they are 1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1999-1
It's going to be great. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, it's no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've been waiting. You've been waiting all episodes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and poor Charlie's been caught up in our weird games. Yeah. That's all right. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us, Charlie. Do you have anything to promote? Uh, anything to tell people about? Yeah. So if any of your listeners are interested in reading um what some scholars are talking about this, specifically in the Shakespearean realm. There's a book out there that one of my mentors co-edited, um, Shakespeare, Not Shakespeare. And they talk about what's Shakespeare and they talk about sort of the hierarchies that we've been talking about. Like, what's the real original text? Oh, this one's better than that one. And they sort of lay out a new um, schema to look at this. Um, so if you're interested, look at that. And if anybody's in Tuscaloosa, Alabama on, um, in June the 26th through the 29th, there is a free show of comedy of errors, which I will be in. It's a slapstick rip roar in good time. (laughs) (laughs) That that actually does sound awesome. I won't be, I don't think I'm going to drive all the way to Alabama to see it, but you know, if I were there, I would, I would definitely do that. And all of that will be linked in the show notes. No. No, no. <laughs> we're not allowed to link that in the show notes. No, no, no. I was saying no to roll tide. Uh, <laughs> I okay. So in 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 the spirit of remixing, um, to me, roll tide has nothing to do with um the school um or anything about Alabama, except for the fact that it's what they shout on the USS Alabama in the movie Crimson Tide, one of the greatest movies ever. <laughs> it's a great movie. You should see Crimson Tide. <laughs> Go Bama, roll tide. <laughs> it's not it's not a it's about a sub. It's a, it's a, it's so good. Uh, I want to come back. <laughs> uh, Hannah, what about you? Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers, where I have been mourning the good place. <laughs> <sighs> to be fair, Hannah, I love the good place. Mary and I watch it religiously. Yeah, I, and I recommended it. So yeah, yeah, I know. I, 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 so I, I love it as well. We, 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 we joke about it. Make we all love The Good Place. Uh, we just does. know that it's, yeah. you know, it's a really, really good show that's not quite as good as Riverdale. And everybody agrees. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. We all agree there. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Hate to break it to you. I've never seen oh, Riverdale. See, now you've, see, and The Good Place has only got a year left. But like also, it's on hiatus right now. You've got Netflix. You've got all summer to just binge on Riverdale and catch up. Oh, and just like, watch Omens. Uh, <laughs> uh, we didn't even talk about i mean the breakfast club episode of riverdale alone is a remix episode yes. and so worth it so yeah, worth it. i'm actually surprised we didn't talk yeah. about archie because of how much they've remixed that with both the comics and riverdale but that's too late I thought about it but, no i thought about it but we, we did a whole show on it we did a whole yeah. show on it before yeah. you were on the show so yeah. go oh, back I and know. listen to that one <laughs> wait, wait, what's going on with you wayne yes <laughs> Uh, I, I got, I got, I'm, I'm exhausted. Just I've had a, a, a long week. Uh, by the time you listen to this, two weeks will have gone by, but no, no, this last is going to go Sunday. We this had, is going up tomorrow. Oh, this is yes. going up tomorrow. <laughs> 
Okay, so a week ago, <laughs> a, a week ago, uh, Sunday, a week ago today, um, we had a 100th birthday celebration for That's my right. father. Uh, right. he, he turned 100 on last Monday, so a week from when this goes up. Um, my dad's 100. My mom is almost 97. They live in the house I grew up in on their own. He still drives. They're both forces of nature. <laughs> and it was wow. huge, overwhelming, like two, 300 people there. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm still kind of reeling uh, overwhelmed from that. And then yesterday I officiated a wedding, so I just really need a nap. <laughs> it's, it's been a long, long week. So, so. You, can, you can find <laughs> Wayne in his bed. Uh, link in the show notes, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, so, so for everybody on the internet, happy birthday, Dad, which he will never do. <laughs> yes, Wayne's, Wayne's father, a hundred-year-old avid fan of podcasting <laughs> happy birthday to him though yeah uh let's see i guess i guess you can find me on twitter at chris maverick on my blog at www.chrismaverick.com you can follow the show on twitter at vox popcast on instagram at vox popcast on facebook at facebook.com slash vox popcast or on our blog at www.voxpopcast.com where you will find out more about what we're going to be talking about on the next show. We have some really interesting stuff coming up, coming up, I think. So, you know, check that out. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor, write us a five-star review on iTunes. That helps other people find the show through magical, mystical algorithms that nobody understands. And it, you know, it'll be a nice birthday present for Wayne's dad. See, that's it. It's not, it's not always about me. <laughs> that's right um but we'd appreciate it if you left us a a five-star review and that helps other people find the show and i'd like to once again thank charlie for being here thanks charlie Thank you for having Mm -hmm. me. And I'd like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building more, ever more epically and playing us out right now. I'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Now, usually I don't do this, but um, go ahead and break them off with a little preview of the remix. No, I'm not trying to be rude, but hey, pretty girl, I'm feeling you. The way you do, do the, the things, things you do, remind me of my Lexus Coupe. That's why I'm all up in your grill, trying to get you to a hotel. You must be a football coach. The way you got me playing the field. So let me give you that toot toot, and let me give you that beep beep. Running her hands through my fro, bouncing on 24s while they're saying on the radio, it's a remix to ignition. Yeah.